0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Albany Adams, and I'm going to be reading our verse today. It's Mark 8, 22 through 26. Jesus heals a blind man. When they arrived to Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever.
1: Thank you, Albany. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, my name is Tanner House. I'm the the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. Uh, It's good to see you. If you would take a minute and fill out the Connect card under your chair, um, that way we can know how to connect with you, know how to serve you. Um, There's a spot for prayer requests on the back of that card if uh, you have anything You need prayer for Mark and I would be honored to enter into that space with you and get to pray for you and with you So um, take a minute fill out that card You can give that back to me or Mark or another covenant member at the end of the service Uh, We are in Mark chapter 8 We're getting near the end of Mark chapter 8 We'll be in verse 22 and I use the ESV if you're on your phone or your tablet So I read a lot of history books Uh, I really enjoy American history from, like, the beginning of World War II to, like, the end of the Vietnam War. I just think there's so much that we can learn from the successes and failures of leaders that have gone before us. One of the things I find really interesting in history are just the major technological advances that not only we've made as a country, but that have just taken place in, in the world in general, So, if you look at Japan, for example, they are now one of the most, if not the most, technologically advanced countries in the entire world. But during the time before World War II, they were mostly, like, agrarian, farmer-type people. But now, a lot of our tech products, like if you're a Samsung user, for example, a lot of our tech products come from Japan. Japan imports $13 billion worth of goods in that sector, the technology sector, to the United States every single year. Like any Toyota people in here. Yeah, Japanese. So we as a world, we have made a bunch of strides in the world of tech, and this statement I am about to make is purely opinion-based. It's just my opinion, uh, but I do think it has some merit, so... If you disagree, we can talk about this later. Some of these technological advances are really good and helpful. They certainly have made life a lot easier, right? If your phone is charged and you have service, which is possible because of all the technological advances, Uh, if you have service, you most likely will, right? Unless you have AT&T and you're sitting in my living room. Um, You're never ever lost. We went to Florida last year, and I just put in the address of our Airbnb in my phone, and off we went in our minivan down I-20. There's also a downside to this, though. I think it's made us very impatient, very entitled, and also like very disconnected from anybody else. For example... How many of you are old enough to remember dial-up internet? You know that sound? Yeah, that sound. Um, It was awesome. Are you laughing? Yeah, I know. Donkey dial-up internet, whatever. Uh, I thought about playing the sound, but then I was like, I might get a better response if I just try to make it verbally. Hey, everyone, let's get serious for a minute. Dial-up internet was awesome. It was awesome because we didn't know any better. Now, if we had to go back to that, you know how annoyed we'd be? We'd be, like, drop-kicking computers and all kinds of stuff. Or think about just, like, the normal rhythms of your life. If you wanted groceries, you know, in the modern times or pre-modern times, like 2019, you had to go to the grocery store. Now you can just put it in an app and go and pull up to a parking spot and they'll bring it out to your car for you or even more crazy some dude might bring it to your house for like five dollars more we live in amazing times but because of this we want what we want when we want it right our world our technologically driven world has fueled this and fed into this advertising agencies collectively spend billions of dollars every single year to make you dissatisfied with your life advertisement feeds this we can't just live in the moment we can't enjoy the process we never seem content with our possessions or our position in life social media feeds into that tv feeds into that our friends feed into that because we see what they have and we look at what we don't have and we grow discontent Like, think about that for a second. Have you ever found yourself doing something you said you would never, ever do? Or buying something you said you would never, ever buy? Or going somewhere you said you would never, ever go? All to fit in. All to create this image. And that is so dangerous for us personally because we will go to extreme lengths to get what we want or to feel some kind of way about ourselves. Debt or drugs, or surgeries to fix the parts of our bodies that we don't like, or food to comfort us, or on and on we could go. And I want to submit this to you this morning. That is also dangerous for us spiritually. When, like if we're honest, when we were to take an honest assessment of our spiritual lives, I think all of us would say this. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. Is that fair, Christians in here? We all feel that. And then on the back end of that, sometimes we just grow tired and weary of the process. We grow frustrated with ourselves. Maybe even you grow frustrated with God. And we play this comparison game in every arena of our lives. But I want to tell you something. Stop doing that. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I just want to offer you some encouragement this morning from the text. If you're a Christian, I want this text to encourage you this morning because even if it feels like it's hopeless or it feels like you're alone or that you're not making any progress or that God is indifferent towards you even, I want to tell you that that just isn't true. And if you're not a believer this morning, I pray that this text will point you to the saving grace of Christ. Man, our last few sermons, just full disclosure, have been super heavy, and I've leaned on you pretty hard. Um, Jesus and his ministry are always inviting us to faith and dependence and repentance, and that takes a lot of hard work, and it's hard work. That doesn't ever stop. We're always going to need faith. We're always going to need dependency. We're always going to need repentance. However, I will also say this, there's also encouragement for you when you're struggling. And when you're struggling to trust and obey Jesus. So we're going to pray together this morning. We're going to dive in. And believer in Christ in here this morning, I just want you to be encouraged in your faith journey. Wherever it is you find yourself this morning. Even if it feels like you are barely clinging to Jesus or if you feel like you have a vibrant, thriving walk with Christ, Jesus is encouraging you this morning to just keep going. So here's some things I want to consider as we jump into our text. Have I given up? Or am I complacent? Where am I struggling with unbelief in the person and work of Jesus? Or... Do I even believe in Christ? And this morning, I just want us all to consider who Jesus is and why he's worthy to be followed. And real quick before we jump in, I just want to keep one thing in front of you this morning. A lot of times when we talk about sin, we like to think about it in terms of behavior or externals. Like, insert anything you want to this morning, like right there. When you think of sin, what, do you, what comes to mind? But I'm not just talking about, when I'm talking about sin this morning, I'm not talking about externals. I'm not talking about the visible stuff. All sin begins with unbelief in Jesus. Unbelief is the root of sin that sprouts forth the fruits of it. So, like, unbelief leads to the behavior, right? So, again, I want to pray that God is going to call you out of sin and unbelief this morning. Okay? So let's pray and let's dive in. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. Lord, I pray for the wayward, Lord, that you would call them back, um, call them into faith and dependency. Lord, I pray for the ones that are struggling this morning, Lord, struggling to trust, struggling to believe that you are better. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your nearness and your goodness, Lord, and remind us of our position as adopted, loved sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, we need you. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch them. So Jesus and his disciples, this is a continuation of our story last week. Jesus and his disciples were in a boat sailing away from the Pharisees at Dalmanutha, And they're on this boat, and they're talking about the lack of bread. So Jesus and his disciples show up at this little fishing village, this little town of Bethsaida. It seems like the disciples and Jesus are still on their quest to get away from the crowds so they can get some rest. And what we see this morning is that yet again, they can't escape the crowds. They hit the banks of this little town, and they're greeted by this blind guy and his friends. And these guys show up to Jesus, and they're begging Jesus just to touch their blind friend. We've seen this before, where a person isn't just showing up, like, asking Jesus for help. Like, hey, Jesus, could you help me? This is like desperation. Jesus, my daughter is dying. Jesus, our friend is blind and mute. Jesus, this crowd is huge and hungry, and we don't have any food. Jesus, save us. You are the only one who can help us, help us, Jesus. Man, that's a whole different type of ask when you are down to, like, your last resort. Look, I don't want to manipulate your emotions or anything this morning, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on secondary points of the text, but I do want to say this. If you're hurting, go to Jesus. If you have people in your life that are hurting, bring them to Jesus. I'm not saying this to patronize you in your struggle. I'm not saying to saying this to trivialize your struggle. I don't want uh, to give you a lot of just fluff, right? I don't want you to give your hurting friends just an overwhelming amount of Bible verses related to struggle. Man, I want to empathize with people. I want to be compassionate towards people because that is what we see in Jesus. It's a lot easier to say a couple of passing words and not enter into people's struggle with them, right? When people are hurting, they don't need a pithy Christian statement. They need a hug, and they need Christ's mercy to them. So church, enter in fully with people, especially if you're a believer and people in the church are hurting lean into it with them, put your arms around them, pray with them and for them, and allow the Holy Spirit to use you to show the love of Christ to people. Man, if you're hurting, you will not be disappointed by expressing your hurts fully to Christ. If your friends are hurting, they will not be disappointed by giving their hurts to Christ. Christ actually invites us to that. All right, back to the text. So they're here at uh, Bethsaida, and look, and these, this blind guy shows up, and look at the response of Jesus. Verse 23, it says, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So Jesus takes this man by the hand. Another instance of the compassion of Jesus. Jesus takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village, not for Jesus' sake, but for the blind man's. Can you imagine how chaotic that must have been for this blind guy? Jesus shows up, and immediately a crowd gathers all around him, and then there's this blind guy trying to get to Jesus. He can't see where he's going. He can't see to know who's around him. Um, so Jesus intervenes on behalf of this man. He takes him by the hand and leads him to a quiet place. And the text says Jesus spits on his eyes. I don't think this is like, but like just like, a, you know, rubbing his saliva to the man's eyes and laying his hands on him. This miracle is unique from every other miracle in the Bible for for a couple reasons. One is immediately physical, and the other one is absolutely spiritual, so hang with me. Um, I want to focus on the physical just for a moment. Keeping the the kindness of Jesus in view, Jesus has put his saliva on this guy, and he's laid his hands on this guy. He's trying trying to uh, draw the blind man's attention to what's taking place. For a blind person, I've read that touch is more significant than sound. It's more impactful to the person. So that's certainly probably true even more so in a first century Jewish context where this man would have been outcasted because of his impairment. And here we see Jesus yet again touching the otherwise untouchable. And in that, Jesus is drawing this man into the sphere of his love. We see Jesus first. Before entering into this man's physical condition, Jesus is revealing himself as God in flesh into the heart, into the spiritual eyes of the blind man. Revelation is preceding healing here. I've said this, I think, in our walk through Mark about 7,000 times, um, but it bears saying again here, Jesus will not do miracles that have no redeeming work. Jesus' ministry isn't about doing the miraculous. His ministry is about miraculously restoring people to himself. His ministry is redeeming the spiritually blind and giving them eyes to see who he is. Jesus is God. So unexplained miracles that have no connection to God's love and purpose are just mere spectacle, right? Right? One commentator calls them magic, and then he says magic or sorcery in the Bible is always condemned. These miracles are a window into seeing who Jesus is. Don't stop. Like, when you're reading the text for yourself, don't stop with the miracle, right? I encourage you to consider what is taking place behind the miracle. So Jesus, Jesus, it seems, only partially heals this guy, right? This blind man could identify a few things, like trees walking around, like he's in the Wizard of Oz. Um, Essentially saying something like, wow, I can see more than I've ever been able to see in my entire life. But it's still not super clear. So look at what Jesus does next. Verse 25, it says, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Jesus heals him, sends him away to his home. Okay, does anybody else read this? Or if you've been listening to our, our walk through Mark, anybody else read this and think, Huh, it seems like Jesus really struggled with this man's blindness. It looked like Jesus was about to take an L here. I mean, think back through our time in Mark's. Uh, Mark's gospel. Jesus could heal at a distance, right? He cast out a demon from miles away. He could create an all-you-could-eat buffet with like some Mrs. Bairds and a can of tuna. Why couldn't he just heal this guy with a word like he had before? Or why didn't he just heal that guy immediately, right? All of this seems really inconsistent. Anybody else? So here's where I want to spend the bulk of our remaining time this morning. There are some really deep and underlying spiritual and theological truths that I want us to grasp this morning. This is the only time in the entire Bible where a miracle occurs in a two-stage way like this. The point isn't that this is... that that Jesus was having difficulty healing this man, or that this man had some sort of like rare genetic blindness that Jesus was struggling with or unexpecting, the point is really spiritual. So before I jump into this, I want to say this. Here's like a really sad observation. Far too many Christians are not very biblically literate. Like, not very Bible smart, to quote the old school way of saying it. And I say this not to shame you, but to hopefully encourage you or to motivate you to care about what the Bible says, and not only to care, but also to apply, and not only to care and apply, but also to teach and replicate it into others. The Word of God is one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, that God speaks and instructs the church today. So, man, read your Bible. But not only that, really read your Bible. Really read it deeply. And if you need help getting started, man, let's, let's do that. This is all unrelated to the sermon. I just feel really compelled to say all this. Um, convictionally, I've asked a couple things of, of you covenant members that you would, in fact, read your Bible and then read and discuss it with other people. So now, I am trying to fill up my lunches or my breakfast weekly with with that kind of thing. Reading the Bible with some of you men or with some of you couples who are wanting to learn and grow in this. So if you need help, man, I'm available to read the scriptures with you. And probably more importantly, I should say, I actually really want to. So um, if you need help getting started, let's do this. Okay, I digress. Here we go. Um, The point of this miracle is... Strictly symbolic of some deep spiritual truths. Look at where it falls in the progression of of Mark. Jesus has been performing miracles the past few weeks in Gentile areas, meaning non-Jewish areas. Before that, he was performing miracles in Jewish areas, and all of which the 12 disciples got to witness. And last week, after witnessing two separate miracles where Jesus feeds two separate huge crowds... Uh, With meager physical resources, his disciples are in this boat going, Oh, dang, we only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. Jesus says to them, Do you still not understand? And in saying that, he's leaving room that the disciples may, in fact, eventually understand. Like, there's still hope for these guys. And today, Jesus takes this blind man And in two stages, he heals this man completely. The disciples are this blind guy. They had been touched by Jesus. They had received the blessing. They were getting to be witnesses to what he was doing. But they didn't always get it. They didn't always understand. Their spiritual insight was far from complete and far from where it needed to be. Spiritually speaking, these disciples needed a second touch from Jesus. This is called sanctification. We use this word a lot around here, and so I want to give you a working definition for sanctification. It is the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Sanctification begins at the moment of salvation and ends when Christ has perfected us and when we are with him in heaven. It is a shocking biblical truth that when we consider the depths of our sin, the nature of our fallenness before God, that we can be justified or made right with Jesus at all. And through the means of our transformation, we can and will be made more and more like Jesus. Man, sanctification allows us to walk in light of our new hearts given to us by faith in Christ. When we grow in Christ, we hunger and thirst more for God. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we grow in our hatred of our own sin. The more we're active and diligent in fighting against sin. The closer we get to Christ, the more we see ourselves for who we truly are. Sinners. Desperate, wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And now because of the cross and resurrection... We are God's children who can come to him in faith. So I want to sit in that for a second. Remember what I said at the onset of our time together in the word this morning. We want what we want when we want it. That's true in the generalities of our life, and that is true in Christianity. Man, we want to come to Jesus at the moment of salvation, and we want to be struggle-free. But that's, not just, that's just not how it works. That's not how it works because our world is broken. That's not how it works trying to live a life of holiness in a world that is broken by sin. When Christ calls a person into salvation, that is a miraculous saving of the soul, Right? But that person doesn't automatically stop sinning and doesn't automatically die to their wants and desires. Man, we learn faith and dependency by walking in faith and dependency with Jesus. We look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and we learn to love and trust him as he not only reveals himself to us once for salvation, but he is the means by our transformation daily as we seek to follow him. Man, if you're in Christ and your life isn't what you want it to be, spiritually or otherwise, cheer up, dude. You're probably a lot worse than you think. And Christ knows this and still wants you. Christ knows this and he's still desiring to change you and to grow you. Your role in this is just to trust Jesus. Faith in Christ and obedience to Christ. Man, if you're a Christian, listen to me. Christian as you consider your walk with Jesus it is okay for you to be where you're at. It is not okay however for you to stay there. Your faith journey is meant for Christ's glory first and then you're good. Man if you look around at others and you think man I wish I were like that person. I wish I was where that person is with Jesus. May that encourage you to just to press more into Jesus, not to be discouraged and not to be discontent. As a Christian, whether you've been walking with Christ for 10 days or 10 years or longer, we all just need to be pursuing faithfulness in Christ. Don't compare yourselves to anyone other than Jesus. That will also keep you from boasting in yourselves, too. When you understand just how sinful you are, you then understand the only thing you have to boast in is Christ and his blood and his death and his resurrection for you. The goal of the sanctification process is that we are progressing towards Jesus. It's it's that we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday and more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. And that doesn't happen just by like showing up and checking boxes. That doesn't happen by just like, I'm going to attend church on Sundays, check. Man, so if you feel like your faith is hanging on by a thread, I'd tell you to keep hanging on. But I'd also tell you to consider a few things. What are you filling your life up with? Are you consuming things that are causing you to consider who Jesus is or are you filling your minds up with garbage are you consumed by first world problems that have our minds so clouded that we don't ever consider Jesus are you meaningfully connected to other Christians who are pointing you to Christ man are are you faithful to church are you faithful to Jesus man I believe that a relationship with Christ just changes everything. First Peter 1:14 through 16 says, "As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy." Man, what this is telling us is that what your what your former ignorance is um, is that prior to Christ interceding for us, You lived a certain way. You lived a way that was contrary to Christ because you were ignorant of God and what he was calling you to. And now because of Christ, you no longer have to live that way. Jesus doesn't see our sin and doesn't see our struggles, and he doesn't cast us out or push us away from him. Rather, in love, he plunges even further in to help us. And he delights in doing so. And we know this because of the cross. And so now we respond to Jesus. Christ is calling you into something better. He's calling you to himself. And so we fight sin. We fight to put sin to death. Kill sin or it will destroy you. I want to give you a quote from a man named Dr. Rankin. It's a long one, but it is so good. He says, We fight sin because we love God and want to bring him glory but this is not a lonely struggle against the things that plague us. Rather, it's a deliberate and conscious battle against sin in our lives and always in union with Christ. We do not fight alone or even merely in our own strength. Instead, we are won by faith and by the Spirit with our Savior, who is our head. And so by his grace and strength, we are in we are able to engage in this battle against sin using all the tools he has provided because he himself also fights for us. Because of the empty tomb we know that Christ has defeated sin and death and one day there will become a time when all of this is just a bad memory, all of this brokenness is just a bad memory but I pray that it wouldn't just be a bad memory where, where we just don't see sin, but like where we get to see Jesus' work. Like we can look back over the course of our life and say, yeah, that was hard. Yeah, there was struggle there. But Jesus really was working in my life to make me more like him. This miracle is a picture of a God who saves. This picture is a miracle of a God who saves and then transforms us fully. Look, if you're struggling in your fight against sin, I want to encourage you with a few things. If you believe in Jesus, if you are confident in your position in Christ, and yet you still struggle in one or, or more ways that you know are honoring to God, like if you're looking at your life, even if you just look at like last week, uh, you can identify some sin struggles, like some self-indulgences in one way or another, financial, sexual, unforgiveness, bitterness, spiritual laziness, whatever it may be. Listen to this. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Don't grow weary. Don't grow discouraged. Christ will not stop in your, until you're complete in him. Christ is inviting you to himself, to rest in the completed work of Jesus for you. Man, if you're feeling guilt and shame and condemnation, that is not of Jesus. You can lay that down at the cross. But if you're feeling conviction, that's a gift from God. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit to you. Christ in his mercy is inviting you into repentance. Christ in his mercy is inviting you into faith and dependency this morning. And look what else. This was a letter, Philippians was a letter written to a church. So now we know that when we're called into Christ, we are called into a family. And if we persevere and are faithful till the end, we can and will finish this race together. So church, this is an invitation into belief not a pass to continue in your sin. If you're walking in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin, that is not an indicator of faith and dependency, but rather that's an indication of unbelief in who Jesus says he is and what he's done for you. And there's really no stability there. It may indicate that you may think you're a Christian and you may not be. If this is you... I say this not to scare you. I say this not to shame you, but to call your attention to Christ, who endured the cross for you to save you from yourself and to save you from an eternity separated from him in eternal judgment. So, Christian, let me say this and I'll be done. Keep going. Don't quit. And get some accountability in your life for the things of Jesus. And then cling to Jesus. When things are difficult, it doesn't mean that Christ has left you. It doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. It might actually mean you're right in the center of it, and Christ is teaching you to be dependent on Him. Man, lean into that struggle and persevere. Because Christ is with you in the midst of a hard season. And if you're not a believer, aren't you tired of trying to fill your life, fill every void you feel with things that don't really satisfy you? Just ask that you would consider Jesus this morning. Jesus is better than the things that this world has to offer. He's better than toxic relationships. He's better than the things we buy with our money to try to fix our discontentment. And I'll even say this, he's better than all the good things we have. Christ is inviting us to lay it all down. Lay down your wants, lay down your perceived needs at the altar of the cross and turn to him in faith and dependency. He's inviting us into faith and repentance this morning. He's inviting us to trust him. Christ is not done with you. Let's pray.